Looking back at life 100 years ago in Kilkenny, this is the History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. It's nine minutes past six. You're very welcome along once again to another edition of the History Show here on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan and I'll be your guide as we take another trip to the past as we recount the life and times of Kilkenny 100 years ago. We're at episode six already. Can you believe it? Where is the time going at all? Well, tonight is another jam-packed edition of the programme as we continue to focus much of our attention on the significant role played by women in the Civil War in 1922. Coming up... Kilkenny-based visual artist Carrie Lynham tells us about how she and others in her community are remembering the women that were involved with Cumann Naman. Anne Tierney, the president of Kilkenny Archaeological Society, is back to tell us more about the Kilkenny women who marched against conscription in 1918. Retired Commandant Larry Scallon tells us more about some more treasures from the Kilkenny Military Barracks Museum. And a new cinema for Castle Comer is just one of the many pressing issues discussed in the Kilkenny people from June 24th, 1922. We'll hear more about it and some other important stories from the time during our weekly look back at It's Said in the Papers. So a packed programme ahead. I do hope you can stay with me. As always, if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can text me on the KCLR text and WhatsApp line. That's on 083 306 9696. And that, of course, is in association with dinnersready.ie. Or you can email the programme at thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. And, of course, you can listen back to previous episodes of The History Show online at kclr96fm.com forward slash The History Show or on the KCLR app. Now, to begin, we're going to hear from Kilkenny-based visual artist Carrie Lynham. Carrie, along with members of her community, have in recent times been working together on a collaborative embroidery project that they've called Common Thread, telling the stories of the Kilkenny women involved in Common Naman. I spoke to Carrie recently, and I began by asking her to explain more to me about Common Thread. So Common Thread started... It kind of starts at the beginning of um, 2022 with a different course that was funded by Carlo Kilkenny ETB called Storytelling and Stitch. And as part of that um, workshop, there was about 24 women who were taking part um, over two days a week and we were in Rose House weekly. And we used the Ross Tapestry, which, uh, as you might know, is currently on loan in Kilkenny Castle in the old Butler Gallery. So we used that as a starting off point just to look at how throughout time stitch and embroidery and textiles have been used as a method of, of telling stories and, and just a, a different way to, to see the past and to see history. And we, we, we then took that back into Roth House and we started to work on our own pieces and it was around that time um, funding came through or came up for um, from the Heritage Office for something to do with the decade of centenaries for 1922 and we kind of had a chat about it and as a group decided maybe we could possibly put in for an application and see could we make something um, using the skills we had learned and developed to maybe tell some stories about 1922 through the um, craft of embroidery. So that's how it came about and we ended up with a core group of about 12 women um, towards the end who w- went to work on the final piece so the piece that we made for the decade of centenaries to mark 1922 is an embroidered piece and we, we called it Common Thread because 
I suppose that, that was our starting point for research, what, what, as a group of women, is our common thread with women 100 years ago in Kilkenny. Um, so that was kind of our, our starting point. And um, we created a piece that reflected some of the findings of the research that we did. So we really linked in with Neil Roach in, in the City Library, and she was fantastic with providing us all these different ways of researching and finding out about that time in Kilkenny. And I suppose what was more significant was, as a group, we all brought in stuff that we had from our own families, if, if we could get our hands on something from 100 years ago. So all these fantastic objects and photographs and books started to rise into the city library um, and we would just kind of discuss and chat and it was fantastic. It was kind of bringing us on a journey around the world, back and forth in time and just, I suppose, the group got to know each other very quickly over these um, historical and personal objects from around 1922. We had... Um, like really interesting objects like Celine had a, a beautiful handwritten recipe book that belonged to her grandmother that there was kind of about three generations of recipes written into it um, so it was lovely to go back through an artifact like that of what people might have been just eating <laughs> simple as that a um, hundred years ago there was snuff boxes there was old Singer sewing machines that were a hundred years old there was photographs a lot of photographs related to kind of the military um, even from just different parts of the world and just spending the time even just looking at what people were wearing maybe what parts of the world were they're in why were they in that particular war so there was just lots of really personal research at the beginning and I suppose that was the common thread between ourselves as a group um, so I was just there to facilitate the women really took over themselves. So just to mention some of the women, we had Alva and two Anne's, um, Brenda, Celine, Geraldine, Grania, Catherine and Mary. And Grania Quigley-Lambert had a great insight into local history. So there was people in the group who had a real depth of knowledge about this time. And uh, that was fantastic because we could just tap into their their knowledge and they were it was just very comfortable sharing. We didn't have to bring in experts, so to speak. We could just kind of tap into their their local knowledge so I suppose that's that's how we that's how we researched and, and then we went on to to make the piece collectively so we had a, a large stretched loom in the centre of the the room which the group came in weekly and stitched on until we nine weeks later we had this this uh, beautiful kind of map of Kilkenny I suppose you could say with all different icons and symbols on it representing some of the research that we came up with. So you, you spoke about some of the background research that you undertook there, Carrie. Did you enjoy the research and do you feel as if you learned a lot from doing it? Oh, absolutely. Like, none of us came to it as history buffs. We really were just... We really wanted to just um, kind of look at that time in history and, and tell a story. We didn't... There were some women in the group who had great knowledge and then there was others who... We were just all learning stuff for the first time. So that research was brilliant. None of us came away as scholars but we definitely all came away knowing a lot more than we did to begin um, one of the members of the group had a, a family link to Cumannamon and that kind of led us down the path of looking at what the women of Cumannamon would have been doing in 1922 and what their role was what kind of activities they were playing what part they played in, in, in what was happening at the time and 
So that that was, you know, for some people that was the first time to hear about coming on, and for others they had, you know, a real vast knowledge of, of what coming on were about. So we all kind of we we all started off at different levels, and we we all came away knowing a bit more at the end. Definitely. Speaking of coming on and the role of women during the Irish Civil War in 1922, do you think it's important that? through projects such as your own that we remember the women that were involved in the Irish Civil War? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, there was a real... Um, when, when you're talking about something that was 100 years ago, it's it's still... It still brings you to the role of women today in society, and we there was a lot happening around the world, as you would know, this year that was making us think about, you know, what it's like to live in a country that is in civil war and, and what, what happens during those times and what role people play and we were quite struck by the role that women played. Was, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of work taken on that I suppose we might have described as maybe the invisible work. There was a lot of um, kind of taking care of the home, the domestic chores, but they were, you know, there was a lot more to that when a lot of the men were away. Um, there was uh, a lot of the women had to run messages, might just have to drop everything out the drop the hat and get on a bike and, and get an important message somewhere. Um, they were attending to medical needs. They were creating, making parcels for the men in jail. They were maybe hiding people. They were maybe hiding guns. But none of that work was really, none of that kind of work, even though it scaffolded the men's experience, it wasn't really acknowledged at the end. And I suppose as a group of women, we could see a lot of, things that were taking place 100 years ago or maybe not so much change in society today so that invisible work sometimes is not necessarily acknowledged still so I think it is important to look back and maybe see how far you've come but also see where you still need to kind of maybe make improvements or shine a light. What inspired you to undertake this project in the first place Carrie? Um, We just had a great core group of women we were learning this particular skill the funding seemed just so, you know, they wanted people to, to you know, commemorate what was going on 100 years ago. And we just thought, well, why not? We're doing something interesting at the moment. And to make an artwork about it would be a, a lovely opportunity for the group to kind of research and learn about this time. And, it, you know, it's a lovely opportunity for me to work with a, a group of women and, and get to know them. And, and there was a real sense of community. So it's a really enjoyable experience and people really enjoy coming every week and meeting each other and not just talking about the project but just talking about what's going on in their lives as well so just from a you know a well-being point of view it's just a really nice experience to get involved with a with a collaborative project like this and so you know that's motivation enough for all of us there indeed and i know that the embroidery was on show during Heritage Week in Kilkenny um, but is there an option for people that maybe might want to see it now can people view it or can people get involved in any way it hasn't got a home just yet but we work very closely with the City Library and the Heritage Office so I think we will hope to um, you know seek for them to maybe find a really special spot for, for it in the future where people will be able to view it all the time if you want to know about how to get involved, I, you know, the project took place through um, a, an art collective in Kilkenny called Open Circle Community Arts. And if you go onto their website and join their mailing list, you find out about all these kind of opportunities that come up that might be 
you know, to get involved with a collaborative art making project like this and it's open for all women in Cook County. So I would suggest anyone interested in taking part in a project like this would, would go on to Open Circle's website and, and pop their name on the mailing list to, to stay in the loop. Um, and you will find out more about this artwork when it goes on display eventually as well there. Excellent. And finally, any future projects in the pipeline, anything of this sort that you'll be doing again, perhaps? Uh, nothing planned as yet, but we know possibly if if there is uh, funding to commemorate 1923, we we potentially might put our put our um, you know see is that an option for us to maybe explore maybe in a, a similar way or something something different. But you know the opportunity might be there next year for a similar type of project. So we will definitely um, endeavour to see can we be a part of that if if it's possible again. And a big thank you to visual artist Carrie Lynham for telling us more about Common Thread. And as she said during that piece, keep your eye out for further projects from the Open Circle Community Arts Group in the near future. Right now it's time to take a commercial break, but when we come back, Anne Tierney will be telling us more about the Kilkenny women that marched against conscription in 1918. Don't go away. Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. KCLR, proud to be local, you're very welcome back. Last week, Anne Tierney profiled three women with Kilkenny connections who played important roles during the Civil War in 1922. Anne, of course, is the president of the Kilkenny Archaeological Society and is a wealth of information pertaining to the role of women during the War of Independence, among many other topics. Tonight, Anne is going to tell us about the Kilkenny women who marched against conscription in 1918, about the poverty that they faced during the period and about the significance of their participation during the War of Independence. And what was the significance of the role of women in 1922? You know, we know quite a lot about women's involvement in, in the common demand and the years of revolution. And we're, we're, we're gradually learning more about them through the release of, of the pension applications. There were 95 applicants from Kilkenny alone in pensions, and they're telling their their story of their involvement. So we're going to learn more as the years go on when we get to, to see all of those pension applicant applications. 1922, anyway, for women, you know, with, with the, the, the treaty being announced, 1922 saw a, a split in, in the Common Demand organisation. Most most of the Kenny Common Demand were, were opposed to the treaty. So they set up a new organisation, Common Nasirsha, and it met in the Tulsa. They were active, both sides were active in the Civil War. And their involvement has been detailed by Owen Swithin Walsh, particularly in the podcast which he made for the Kilkenny County Libraries, which is well worth listening to. Just to go back a little bit, in the in the previous sort of 20 years, there have been great progress in, in, in rights for women. Employment was opening up to them and they could now take clerical jobs and they were learning typewriting and there was teaching and nursing and agriculture. And during the war, they got jobs in English munition factories. And, you know, there was some secondary education and university education, even for some. Things cost money. But after 1916, they had also a new aware of awareness of politics. 
and they had become involved in things like the Gaelic League, so there was new cultural awareness. And they they were also aware of changes in legislation. So they had been allowed vote and go on to grand juries since 1898. And, and then there was limited voting, um, national voting for women in in 1918, propertied women were able to vote in 1918. But in 1922, the Free State Constitution in, that, that was brought in by the Irish Free State Constitution brought in votes for women on an equal basis with men. And that, that was really quite unusual. It, it, it didn't happen in England till 1928. And we had, yes, we had 1922. It didn't happen in France until the 1940s. I mean, it was, it was really quite important. And that year as well, so the first representative um, of Kilkenny, female representative of Kilkenny in a national parliament, that was um, Lady Desert, uh, was um, nominated by uh, Cosgrave to uh, sit in the, in the Senate. So that that it was only four women. That that was quite quite an achievement for for Kilkenny. Women were 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 now more independent, I think, and they felt they had more agency. But there was very little um, support, social or economic, if if they didn't have money. So that 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 was just as important as ever, if not even more so. There wasn't the social welfare that we have today. Poverty was a huge issue for women in particular in 1920s Ireland, Anne, wasn't it? There was a huge number of women in that condition um, in, that would not have had um, any guaranteed income from the state. There was no widow's pensions. There was, they, they, were, they were dependent on on asking other people if they had no money. I mean, if they couldn't, they, they had so few um, um, opportunities to earn money themselves that they were being discouraged from taking men's jobs. And, you know, um, they were um, not educated to a standard that could have achieved anything better, but they, 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 they weren't, they weren't um, the jobs weren't, weren't available to them and the money wasn't. And they went, there wasn't social welfare even. That's why people, you know, like the Ladies' Association of Charity and the, the um, National Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children were so important. And they were very often now, the, the NSPCC, for instance, at that stage would have been the landed gentry who were doing their bit um, to, to help um, the poor because that was how it was perceived at the time. And they perceived it like, you know, Lady Desert as, as her duty. And can you tell us a little bit more about the Kilkenny women who marched to oppose conscription in 1918? They were a very interesting group of women. I mean, they it's not quite obvious that this, this list of their signatures is actually a ledger, a shop ledger um, that just has the pledge written on it. We pledge not to take men's jobs. They had pledges written in Irish and in English. And after this, that is a long list of names and of women's names only. And it, it was a national movement that was in, in, in 1918. And it wasn't only 
women that were involved in opposing conscription. The churches were involved, the politicians were involved, all opposed to, to conscription. When the government, the British government, tried to bring it in, they had brought it in, you know, in the early part of the war, 1916, I think, to um, to Britain, and that was fine. But they were told, you can't try doing this in Ireland. You know, it's um, the, the national feelings are far too strong since 1916, you know, and the British government were, were desperate for, for, for more, you know, cannon fodder for, for, for the war. The war was still going on. So they, they said, no, we're bringing it in, we're bringing it in, but they soon withdrew it. And so the women marched, but they can't, you know, were, were instrumental. All the, the, the opposition was instrumental in having the conscription withdrawn. But the, 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 the women that marched in Kilkenny were a mixture of common naman and they were they were trade unionists there was various um, women in in as working as shop assistants who were members of, of of trade unions there was people who weren't involved in politics that just felt this was an important cause and there was particularly um women in, from the gaelic league and um so the document itself, that evidence is not in the document. All that is on the document is the the names of the women and the pledge that they signed. The, the, the second half of this document, our ledger, was then turned up, the, the, the ledger was turned upside down and it was used for recording sales in Danville Dairy, which is just outside the town. So one of the, 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 the main organizers of Common Amon and, and really important in, in even 1922 were the, the, the Stallard family of Danville. And I think, and the Delucris as well. And they inherited this ledger and donated it to the, the archives in Kilkenny Archaeological Society. But the we don't know from the from the document as to who the you know the, the we know who the names are and their address. So we would know that there was Moya Bly from from um, Madeline Street, um, but we um, and 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 Eileen Bly from Madeline Street, but their their affiliation is not is not mentioned in, in the ledger. The nearest thing we have to that is the fact of the, the two organisers, the, the Common Naman, the, the Stallards and the Delucris. Um, but the other thing is that it was raining very heavily that day. They had marched from, from near, say, Hotel Kilkenny and they'd gone as far as the Black Abbey and then they'd come back up and through the town. It was lashing rain. And they there was a long queue and they felt we're not going to get this book all signed you know this evening so it's going to be brought to Roth House and uh, where the Gaelic League headquarters were at the time and you can come along every evening after work and sign it until the end of the week so it was strongly associated then with the with the Gaelic League too you know but they got you know that the last 20 signatures in that book are actually of Loretta nuns. So we know that that ledger, I mean, they would have been enclosed, I think, in some way at that stage. That ledger was brought to the convent, which would have been up, um, you know, behind St. Canis's, I think, at that stage. And and that quite a number, majority maybe, of the, of the nuns in the convent at the time signed the ledger as well.
So it was it was a very a broad thing. It, there, there were there were middle class, there was working class, there was upper class people signed that signed that that ledger. Most extraordinary. I'm sure the first time that a large group of women, apart from a religious march, maybe for you know for a confraternity or a, a Corpus Christi march, where they'd have marched with men, but it was probably the first time. That, that there was a march of women like that. There was a similar one in, in Callum and in Thomastown and, um, you know, all over the country. But the, the one, the, 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 the signatures survived in Kilkenny. So we can put, we can put, we can start putting, and that's what we tried to do four years ago, is to start putting a story behind as many of the women as as we could. And, you know, if anybody, the signatures are all online on the the Kilkenny Archaeological um, Society website. If anybody has any more stories about the women, please contact us. You know, we'd be delighted, you know, to, to, to add them even at this stage, you know. And Tierney there, President of Kilkenny Archaeological Society, telling us more about the Kilkenny women who marched against conscription, among other things. Right now, it's time for another commercial break, but don't go away because when we come back, we'll be unearthing some more military museum treasures with Larry Scallon. Don't go away. The History Show on KCLOR, with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. Tuesday nights from 6, this is KCLOR's History Show. And you're very welcome back to part three of the History Show. Now we're going to hear once again from Larry Scallon as we unearth some further military museum treasures from James Stevens' barracks. Larry, of course, is a researcher of Kilkenny military heritage and a former commandant at James Stevens' barracks who retired from the Defence Forces in 2012. As we begin our chat with Larry, he has shown me a very interesting-looking medal. So this here is a, a, a what we call the War of Independence medal or the... 1919-1921 service medal and this one has a Cormac bar or a combat bar uh, some of them you'll see don't have the combat bar but you had to have certifiable active service during the years 1919 to 1921 to qualify for the combat bar this here one here belongs to uh, Dennis Lennon from Tree Castles uh, and Dennis, Dennis a descendant of Dennis's was actually the second last battalion commander here, Lieutenant Colonel Mort Larkin, who's now retired uh, and working up in Kilkenny College. The, n- the knuckle duster that's there yeah. belonged to uh, Mr. Medler from out around Paulstown. Uh, he kept that for personal protection. Uh, I, I, the story, like, one of the two brothers was sentenced to death uh, by the British Crown Forces uh, for an attack on Gorn RAC barracks. That would eventually be commuted and the lads took the anti-treaty side during the war, uh, the Civil War. But uh, we recently got uh, gifted uh, on loan, actually, or the, the, the knuckle duster. I, I, I see there the All-Army Winners Medal. What would that have yeah. pertained to? So, so, right, as soon as... As soon as w- the, the Civil War ended, the Irish Defence Forces, the Irish Army, the Free State Army, developed its own All-Army competitions to mirror to inculcate the GAA. The culture of the GAA was strong from day one. So you had your All-Army hurling competition, like there was an All-Ireland hurling competition. You know, you had your All-Army football. This was All-Army handball. So that's a gold medal. 
received by Private J.J. Bergen in 1923 for winning the All-Army Handball competition. And that's actually, if I took it out, I can't take it out now because it's locked in. Mm-hmm. It's actually a gold, a, a, an actual gold medal. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Here we're moving on to a copy of the original map drawn by George DeWire showing the different battalion areas within the Kilkenny Brigade. So you can see centred around Kilkenny here is number one battalion. And then ultimately there would be nine battalions in the Kilkenny Brigade area. And each battalion would have had its own battalion commander. Like for instance, the seventh battalion battalion commander was Jim Ruan. Uh, He was arrested after uh, Ernie O'Malley's notebook was found as well. And Jim, I think, would have struggled with some ill health after his long incarceration uh, on the behest of the Crown Forces. And he actually died quite a young man. So here we have a letter, and you can see the picture of Miss Mary. She was the very first lady employed in the barracks here. And you can see that she's let go out of service in 1928. And, uh, you know, the boss here is very sorry to be seen or going, but unfortunately there was obviously some financial constraints and uh, she was let go. And now we'll go back to this here. was a Mr. Patrick Gregg looking for uh, a shotgun which he had volunteered for service with the... uh, the IRA during the War of Independence. So an IRA detachment would have called to his house, okay. we need your shotgun for the effort. So the he, he sent off in 1927 a letter looking for it. And uh, the official answer was that we couldn't find your actual rifle or shotgun, but we're going to give you a replacement one instead of it. That was the outcome of it. Mm-hmm. And that's actually Patrick Gregg's... Uh, a War of Independence medal there. And you can see the original uh, envelope that it was sent that in. That came in. Yeah. My word. Yeah. Right. Now, we're sort of taking a little step back now. We're coming into our World War I uh, uh, display where you can see some firearms, you know, uh, German uniforms, French uniform, British uniform, Irish Free State uniform. Just to give people, these uniforms are mostly reproduction except for the British Army ones, which are mostly all real, and it's to give people a flair, people who, you know, who are not going to go to the Somme or to Ypres uh, to visit these locations, an idea of what different soldiers looked like back in the day. The one consistent feature that's wrong with all these soldiers is that they're all too tall. We, uh, mannequins now that you buy for men are nearly always 5 foot 10 to 6 foot tall. In reality... Most soldiers in World War One were between five foot two and five foot six or five foot seven. The exceptional guy was five foot ten. Do you know? We we've got we've got a lot. But we're getting too well fed. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Here's our, these are all medals uh, and collections. This one here is a very nice one. This is Private John Hickey. John Hickey is uh, from Ballybuck Street, and you can see these are his three World War One medals here. And behind them, it's laying on. His shaven mirror, his shaven mirror from the trenches in 1914 still still exists. So these are nice things to have, do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have up here, uh, Private John Dunn from, uh, I want to say Ossery Park or, or, or some over, over near Nolan Park. Uh, John Dunn went off to World War I with a crucifix with Our Lord on it, a timber cross on it. At some point during the war, the cross the cross itself got broken or fell asunder and himself and his friends made a, a new cross, fabricated a new cross out of molten metal. They must have melted down lead or whatever into a mould and they put our Lord back on the cross. But as the mould was going uh, hard, the four of them put their thumbprints 
in it. Ah, so yes. there's so that's what the indentations yeah. are. So there's four thumbprints from Aris in nineteen seventeen. That's an amazing little story. Amazing. And John Dunn came home, survived the war. So we'd like to, you know, think that maybe the cross had some little bit to do with it. Absolutely. So here you're coming into uh, another section of uh, uh, World War I memorabilia. The soldier up here is Colour Sergeant Frederick William Hall. Frederick William Hall was born in the barracks here in 1982, 1882. Uh, to the, his father was the bandmaster with the Kilkenny Militia Band. The Duke of Ormond paid for the bandmaster. So, like, it was an appointment, uh, and he, his father would have been brought in to increase the, the stature, the importance of the band, because there was no YouTube and Spotify or <laughs> radio. So the only form of inter- entertainment available locally, or the best form of local musical entertainment, was the band with the barracks, the militia band. So they would have been busy men. So his father signed a country. He was here for three years, uh, and... Uh, uh, Frederick went off with his father uh, around 1885. He moved back to Scotland. As a 14-year-old, he joined the Scottish Rifles uh, and stayed with them for about 10 years and then emigrated to Canada. And as the Great War started, he enlisted uh, in, a, in, in a Canadian battalion and was quickly promoted to the rank of uh, Company Sergeant Major. He deployed to Flanders in uh, April 1915 and he was killed during the second gas attack around Saint-Julien on the 23rd of April, I'm going to say, uh, 1915, trying to recover one of his wounded subordinate soldiers who were left in no man's land. And as he was lifting him up to bring him back into the trench, he was shot dead by a German sniper. For that action, Frederick William Hall was awarded a posthumous Victoria Cross. And that Victoria Cross is on display in his hometown in Canada. This is such a fascinating room and, and displays here. Um, if people wanted to come and visit here, Larry, how would they go about it? Visit by appointment at the moment, right? Uh, so what you do is you contact the barracks. Uh, the curator here is uh, Jim O'Keefe. He's a, he's a long-term interested here. He's really, you know, managed the museum on his own for the last couple of years. Uh, and Jim is currently part-time working in, in, in Dublin, in, in military archives in Dublin. But... With a phone call here, it can be uh, Jim will come in or make himself available or most weekends I'm available or evening times. There's no problem at all. It's just contact the barracks and somebody will contact me. And we'll, we'll, it's just, you can't, it's not walking at the moment. But hopefully in the near future, that might become a possibility. And thanks once again to Larry Skellen for that very interesting tour of the museum at James Stevens Barracks. And just a reminder that since his retirement, Larry has endeavoured to develop some of the historical stories from bygone days in Kilkenny, and he's in the process of documenting them on a podcast entitled Tales from the Barrack Walls, which will be released later this year. It's time for our last break of the evening, but don't go anywhere, because we'll be looking over the Kilkenny papers from June 1922 after this commercial break. Exploring the lives and events of 100 years ago in Kilkenny. The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. Kilkenny, 100 years on. KCLR. The History Show with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to the final part of tonight's History Show here on KCLR. It's time for It's Said in the Papers. Tonight we're headed back to the month of June 1922 and Castle Comer is about to get a new cinema. The Kilkenny People, Saturday, June 24th, 1922. 
the partition of Ireland is coming in for some condemnation in this issue of the people. In a statement on the current condition of the country, the church hierarchy at Maynooth said that the deadly effect of partition has begun to ruin Ireland and that the British government are now backing what they call their Turkey in Ireland. The persecution of minorities in the South also came in for vigorous condemnation on the part of the bishops, who urged that the primary duty of any stable government would be to crush the lawless elements. A strong appeal for unity was made by the bishops on the solid basis of deference to the national will. In a joint statement, the archbishops and bishops of Ireland said, The deadly effect of partition has been to ruin Ireland. In the North East there is no government, or if there be, it is not for Catholics any more than the Turks has government for the Armenians. What murder and even massacre may have left undone, threats have accomplished, and in many parts of the six counties, Catholics are too terrorised to cultivate the land or cut their turf or dwell at night in their houses. The statement continues, The burnings, murderous slaughter and the general terror have driven out many thousands of the Catholic inhabitants of Belfast and rendered them helpless fugitives, whose homes and occupations, businesses and properties have been utterly destroyed. The British government had been well warned what the result would be of putting power into the hands of the one section of the people remarkable for intolerance. Now they are backing their turkey in Ireland with an army and are paying a sectarian police not to uphold justice but to follow the bent of unbridled bigotry. Last month Kilkenny City got a new cinema and in June it's the turn of Castlecomer to get their own cinema. Well, sort of. The Garage Cinema, as it's called, is opening later next week on Thursday, June 29th, 1922. The paper calls it one of the most up-to-date picture houses in Ireland and that no expense has been spared to provide a wholesome and interesting amusement experience for the people. The new cinema has accommodation for up to 300 people in, quote, luxuriously furnished tip-up seats. The cinema boasts electric lighting, yes, electric lighting, as well as a film machine of the most modern type. The new cinema will show films on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights, with the latter also providing a matinee service for those that want to catch the flicks earlier in the day. There's no car park for the new cinema, so patrons are reminded that if they choose to bring a motor car or bike, that they're storing them at their own risk. The price of admission is one and sixpence, but in return, the public is promised special and varied programming, comprising the very latest pictures from the world's most famous film producers, thrilling dramas, sensational stunts, side-splitting comedies and superb orchestras. That's their words, not mine. And finally, another big consignment of beautiful wallpaper has just arrived in an array of charming colours to Power Brothers on Parliament Street in Kilkenny. They encourage readers to give them a call for gold paint, brushes and later window papers and to remember to pick powers for pretty papers. And that's just about it for this evening's episode of The History Show. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again at the same time next week. As always, feel free to contact me at any time on our email address, thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. But until next week, it's a very good evening from me. Thanks for inviting me into your homes as always. Owen Carey is up next with Fully Loaded, and we'll play you out with John Doyle's version of The Rambler from Clare, a song that we mentioned recently in our segment on the Irish peasant songs of 1922. Until next Tuesday, from me, John Moynihan, it's good night and God bless.